everybody. Welcome to the Third Light Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gifsing. Not joining me from the tropical tropics of Calgary, Alberta, but instead joining me in studio here at the Great White Studio, my co-host, Tim Jensen. It's Tim. the Great White Studio now? I feel like the name is upgraded every time I've been here. So I'll take that as a compliment. Well, keep in mind, you know, I've never really settled on a name for this little, for this room we're recording in, so I just keep like, oh, it's uh, th this room now. <laughs> but honestly, I think Great Wade Studio works because yeah, yeah. you know it's my Twitter handle and everything, and we're Canadian, and yeah, and well, we're here. Yeah. Although, does it even snow around here? It does in January sometimes. Actually, no. Last couple of years, it's snowed. Oh, okay. Here. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. Now, Tim, we've got a great episode to talk about today because. We're actually trying something out, something here today we've never accomplished or attempted on the Third Life Success Cast. We're going to be looking at an Ottawa Senator's trade tree. Yeah, and I think there's actually a fun little story about why we decided to do this in the first place, because uh, you were reading Leafs Twitter again, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it wasn't so much I was reading Leafs Twitter. I was actually watching Leafs blogger Steve Dangle. You know, good guy. I like his work, even though I don't cheer for the team he likes. But the one thing I noticed is that he did a trade tree on the Alexei Yashin trade to yeah. the New York Islanders in 2001, and he went through it all, and it's great. I really like the trade trees because they really go into detail, and he really goes into depth about the players that they picked up and yeah. all that good stuff. One thing I noticed after watching the Yashin one, I actually tweeted at Steve, and I said, hey, you know, Steve, you know, as a Sens fan, I think it's great you did the Yashin one, but I think you should be looking at probably, if I'm being perfectly honest, the single most important trade in our history the trade for Brian Burrard for Wade Redden. Yeah, and then you texted me that you said that, and I was like, Tay, we have a podcast. We can do that. And by we, it turned out I meant you, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And then, of course, I got onto our Twitter, you know, our show's Twitter, yeah, and yeah. I quote-tweeted it, be like, disregard Dangle, we got this. We, we doing it. <laughs> so... For those who may not know, the trade that we're going to be looking at today is the three-team deal involving the New York Islanders, Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Ottawa Senators in January of 1996 that sent Brian Burrard to the New York Islanders for Wade Redden. So, now before we go into this trade and we talk all about what we got to do, let's actually talk a little bit about Brian Burrard because I feel like over the years he's been one of those guys that... When talking about his career, you always have to emphasize what if. And the big what if of his career is what if he had not suffered that near career ending eye injury in 2000? Yeah, because I remember when we did uh, the Best Sense Draft Class episode, I remember seeing Brian Burrard drafted really high and then mm -hmm. looking at the stats and it never panned out. First overall. And then, yeah, first overall. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, wait, dude's eye almost exploded. Yeah, and it was actually due to an Ottawa senator who did it, too. Yeah. So, in preparation for this interview, I did check out the interview Brian Burrard did with Spit and Chicklets, and I went through some of his stats. Now, the only thing I didn't do is I didn't read his book, and he had an autobiography. I think it came out either last year or the year before. I can't remember off the top of my head. But So, that's the only thing I never got a chance to. Now, the reason why this trade ended up happening is because... A little backstory about what happened. So Brian Burrard was drafted first overall by the Senators in 1995. And 
you know, he was an 18-year-old defenseman and seemed like a really great prospect coming into the league. He put up really great numbers. And coming into training camp, he announced he didn't want to play for the team. Now, That's keep, always a good sign. Oh, yeah. Now, keep in mind, a lot of people assumed it was because he didn't want to play for a Canadian team. And he talked about it on Spit and Chicklets because you got to realize four years prior was the Eric Lindros saga with the Quebec Nordiques. So mm-hmm. people thought it was very much the same way, right? Like, yep. okay... Eric didn't want to play in Quebec. Brian Burr didn't want to play in Canada. Brian actually came out and said, that's not true. It was more because a money thing, but it was also because he wanted to play for the team at 18 and they were willing to send him back to junior. Uh, so really it was kind of a... He felt kind of screwed. He felt kind of screwed. He didn't feel like the team was really heading in the right direction. He didn't feel like ownership was really involved. Uh, he really didn't like Alex Alexander Dagg. I mean, that seems like a running theme here. Yeah, that seems like a running theme, and he talked about... I'm sure about... he's a nice guy, though. <laughs> I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's a great guy. But, you know what, I can understand, because even uh, Matthew Barnaby said on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, too, because he played with them in uh, Victoria, though, for the Tigra. Yeah. And uh, him and Barnaby got into a fight in the locker room one day, and Dad goes, you know what, I signed my big deal. I don't need to take this shit from you. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's, you know, unfortunately, you hear those kind of stories about Alexander Dagg, but Brian Berard... Kind of had a point, because if you really looked at the Sens roster of 95-96, heading into that, easily he would have made that team. Yeah. There's no way he would have not made that team, because honestly, the Senators had absolutely no talent on the back end. They had maybe Sean Hill, who was a decent enough defenseman, but really the talent was Dag and Yashin. And, well, Radic Bonk hadn't made the team yet, but the one thing I really noticed about him heading into this year was that... If he had made the Sens, there's a pretty good chance he would have won Rookie of the Year in 95-96, and it wouldn't have been Daniel Offerson. Fair enough. Yeah. But at the same time, you have the Sens wouldn't have ended up with Wade Redden. That's true. And, you know, when I talked about earlier in this episode how this is probably the most significant trade in our team's history because this trade single-handedly turned us from... A bo- you know, a basement dollar yeah. to two wins from the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So let's get into this trade tree. So, as I said, this was a three-team trade involving five players between the Islanders, Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Ottawa Senators, with Brian Bird and Wade Redden being the most significant ones. So let's talk about who acquired who. So the New York Islanders, they both acquired from the Sens the rights to Brian Burrard and Martin Strachan. Now, Martin Strzok actually had a really good year yep. in Pittsburgh. I actually didn't even know he played for the Suns, too, at one point. <laughs> but, you know, that is what it is. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they acquire Kirk Muller from the New York Islanders and Don Polpere from the Ottawa Senators. And the Senators acquired Wade Redden from the New York Islanders and Damian Rhodes from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, why was Toronto required to facilitate this trade? Uh, um... I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember why they were involved in this trade. I think because the Leafs... No, the Islanders wanted to trade Kirk Muller. Because Muller mm-hmm. didn't want to be an Islander anymore. You know, he had played for the Habs. He won a Stanley Cup. He had all the success. He gets traded to the Islanders. He was injured. He openly said, I don't want to play for the Islanders. Yeah. And though he was now... okay. He doesn't want to be here. Let's trade him. And then, of course, this trade was starting to come about. So this is why the Leafs were involved. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's definitely not like a modern 
three or four team trade where the third team there is often there as a financial intermediary. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. We're talking about financial intermediates in hockey. I know. What a world. Oh, I know. It's insane. So let's talk about the New York Islanders and who they acquired. So the big piece that they got was Brian Burrard. So we talked about him going back to junior 95-96 season, which he played for the Ontario Hockey League's Detroit Whalers. Currently, they're known as actually a cooler name, the Flint Firebirds. Oh, sick. That's actually a sweet name. He would join the New York Islanders for the 96-97 season, in which he recorded eight goals, 40 assists for 48 points, and 82 games winning Rookie of the Year. In the 97-98 season, he recorded a career-high in goals with 14. He was then later traded with the Toronto Maple Leafs along with a sixth-round pick in the 98-99 season for Felix Potvin and a sixth. He would play 102 games for the Leafs, recording 49 points. Before, as we mentioned, the freak accident in a game versus the Ottawa Senators, which almost ended his career when Marion Holsett clipped him in the eye with a stick. He would later sign with the New York Islanders in 2001 after being released by Toronto. He then bounces around for a couple of seasons, but stops in Boston, Chicago, Columbus, and a return to the New York Islanders. And the one thing that I do got to mention to him, he won the Masterson in 2004. Nice. So it, it's definitely an odd career. Then it's kind of funny that he actually ends up on Toronto for a bit. It does. But I think that, and he he talked about it on uh, Spit and Chicklets too, is that the Leafs actually wanted him to come back. But I think it was an insurance thing where I think the insurance company was going to screw him out of a lot of money. So he was owed, I think, $6 million or oh, something. Jesus. And I don't know how it happened. He later went to court. He wanted, I think he got a couple million bucks out of that. Uh, I don't have the official stats or whatever from that. I should have actually put that down. And, of course, over the last couple of years, the one big thing that's came out about Brian Berard is the screwing over his financial advisor did to him, which W5 did their special on a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And, actually, I was going to say you should have uh, should have got you checked that one out. I think that would be right up your alley mm-hmm. finances and all that stuff. So it was a really, really interesting thing to check out. And it's amazing just how often, like, financial advisors or even parents will screw over players. Well, even the last couple of years, I mean, the big story was Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson but also, I think the first big one has to be Alan Eagleson. What Alan Eagleson did to Bobby Orr, and he did to all these players, and later went to prison because of it. It's probably not as uncommon as you would think. No, like, it happened to Lindros as well. Yep. Because it was... In Sean Avery's book, Sean Avery mentions making fun of Lindros for having his mom manage the money. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it is. But the one thing is that this is why guys like Bobby Orr went into becoming a financial advisor because he... He He didn't want it to happen again. Exactly. And Brian Burrard was actually represented by Derek Sanderson, who lost millions of dollars throughout his career through drugs, alcohol... And just bad investments. Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about the trade. So, the sixth... That the from the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1990 draft was later dealt to the Tampa Bay Lightning, which the Lightning used to select Fedor Fedorov, the brother of Sergei Fedorov, who was a big body winger, 6'5, 250 pounds, only played 18 games in the NHL between the Vancouver Canucks and New York Rangers. Huh. Now, I've got to ask because he is best remembered for an incident when he was playing for the Manitoba Moose. This incident actually helped the Canucks land a defensive player of Kevin Biaxley. What did he do? So I don't know if you've ever heard this story, Tim, but Kevin Biaxley was in college. Yeah. Played for Bowling Green, played four years. 
And he got called up on an amateur tryout to the Manitoba Moose. He had showed up first day, didn't play in the game because they were on a playoff hunt. Yeah. So uh, you're going to love this story. It's such a Canadian story, too. So they went to Earl's. They went to Earl's. <laughs> yes. It, it, very similar to uh, Dougie Hamilton in Calgary. With the, uh, what the hell was that? Uh, to be fair, if they're in a small town, Earl's may actually be one of the only good options. That is true. Earl's was my, my, I'm in Grand Prairie and I don't want to get food poisoning. But this is in Winnipeg. Oh. Yeah, it was just down the street from the, from the arena. So the big thing was that Kevin Bieksa was there first day, just got into town, didn't play. So, and Kevin talked about this also, but check out something. Yeah. He said he was just at the bar fiddling around with his straw. It accidentally flies out of his hands, hits this Russian guy in the back, and he apologized to him. And it was a big kind of blow off, whatever, mm-hmm. in which Federer, Federoff challenged Bieksa to a fight. <laughs> and Kevin Bieksa knocked him out with one punch. Oh, damn. And that story got back to Brian Burke, who was the GM of the Canucks, who will famously say to this day, as soon as he heard that, he says, sign him. He punched out this giant He Russian punched dude. out Feder Fedorov, and that's what got him signed to the Canucks. <laughs> that it's really a, is a hockey story. It's such a great story. So Feder Fedorov later got traded to the New York Islanders in 2005 for Joseph Beje and a 2008 6, which they traded to Mitch Galton. Now, we're getting to some pretty nobody territory. It's pretty much, yeah. Belege only played 18 games, recording one goal, five and six for six points with the Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver Canucks, and the New York Rangers. Now, Felix Potvin played 33 games over parts of two seasons with the New York Islanders, recording a 7-21-4 record with a .893 save percentage. Later got traded to the Vancouver Canucks for Kevin Weeks, Dave Scatchard, and Bill McCult. So, Kevin Weeks is probably the big name here. Well, here's the thing. In this, Kevin Weeks is the big one. But keep the name Bill McCult in mind. He's getting traded again. When we get along in this. So, talk a little bit about the other guys on this. So, Kevin Weeks only played 36 games for the Islanders, recording a 10, 20, and 6 record with a .902 save percentage before being dealt to the Tampa Bay Lightning for a draft pick, which I found absolutely no information about. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I found absolutely no information on it. Was it like a future consideration draft Something pick? Something like or? that, yeah. Oh. Dave Scatchard actually had the longer career with the Islanders. He played four and a half seasons for them, recording 81 goals, 87 assists for 168 points That's in 347 bad. games before signing with the Boston Bruins in 2005. And I actually do remember Dave Scatchard as an Islander. You mean not just because of NHL? Not just because of EA's NHL games, but also I remember Scatchard as a Canuck too. Vaguely. So the big guy out of this, Bill McCall. So Bill McCall only played 72 games or parts of two seasons for the Islanders, recording 15 goals, 18 assists for 33 points before he was traded in June of 2001 to the Ottawa Senators along with Daniel Chara and the second overall pick. So this for ties in, Ashen. So this ties into the Spezza t- trade tree. Yep. This is where I really, this is probably why I wanted Steve Dangle, later us, to do this episode because I said, this is probably in a roundabout way. This single handedly turned us into a Stanley Cup oh, contender. Yeah. So I think the big guy we're going to talk about, Jason Spezza, second overall pick, played 11. Yo, take seasons. check this out. Ladies and gentlemen, what you can't see because this is an audio podcast, Tim Jensey is wearing a Jason Spezza jersey. <laughs> it's a beauty. I like it. Yeah, I bought this one back in 09. Oh, beauty. Before I went off to UVic, and I got tripped in the elevator every single day. 
No, that's fine. Well, we that was the Murray fire sale season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about this. So Alexei Yashin played five seasons for the New York Islanders, recording 119 goals, 171 points, or 171 assists for 290 points in 346 games before he was bought out by the New York Islanders in 2007. Chara later played four seasons for the Sens, recording 51 goals and 95 assists for 146 points in 299 games before he signed with the Boston Bruins in 2006. The big piece out of this, Jason Spetson. The man played 11 seasons with the Sens, recording 251 goals, 436 assists for 687 points in 686 games Damn. before being traded to the Dallas Stars in 2014 for Ludwig Carlson. Or along with Ludwig Carlson, sorry, for Alex Chesson, Alex Guptill, a second in 2015, which we would later swap with the New Jersey Devils. The Sens would actually use that pick to select Gabriel, du- Gabriel Gagne. Not Dumont. The, the New Jersey Devils, though. Take a while, guess who they took for that second? Mackenzie Blackwood. Mackenzie Blackwood, yeah. So because of us, the Ottawa Senators. Or sorry, the New Jersey Devils should be kissing on the Ottawa Senators' ass because they got their future franchise goalie. To be fair, New Jersey would have traded up with someone else. That is true. That is true. And now, let's talk about Gagne because this is probably the big one for us. Because we took him, didn't really become anything for the Sens. The man selected before him, Sebastian Ajo. You can never guess with these things. That is so true, but that hurts, though, in retrospect. Yeah, especially because we traded down. Yep. Yeah, that hurts. And also, we acquired Nick Paul. So, we can probably talk about the guys that we also got. So, Chason played two seasons with the Sens, recording 19 goals, 21 assists for 40 points in 153 games. Later traded to the Calgary Flames. We traded him for Patrick Seeloff. We traded him to injure Clark MacArthur. Nice. Yep. Sorry, you mean goal per game NHL defenseman oh, that's, Patrick Seala. That is true. That is true. Yep, the goal per game defenseman who we later traded to the Anaheim Ducks for Brian Gibbons. Now, Gibbons only played 20 games the Sens, but recorded six goals, eight assists for 14 points, so didn't do too bad for us. No, no. He, built, he was the commensurate third line plug. Very much. Guptill would only play 64 games for the Binghamton Senators, never played for the big club. That second in 2015, as we talked about, was Gabriel Gagne, only played a season and a half for Belleville in the American Hockey League, later traded him for Morgan Klipchuk. Nick Paul, five seasons split between the Sens and B-Sens, recorded 13 goals, 15 assists for 28 points in 112 games. I feel like there was a lot of stigma around Nick Paul because he was attached to that Spezza trade. But I think that Nick Paul, has, he's always been just kind of that hurt. He reminds me a lot of Eric Condra with some hands. I can see that. And that's actually a pretty nice player to have on your third line. It is. It is very much so. And I think that Nick Paul did show some flashes last season for the Sens. Yeah. And it's not like other years when he came up, we're just sitting here going, God, why, why is he up here again? Why are we not giving, you know... A Batherson, a Shalapik, or some of the young guys a chance. But he came up here and actually played well for us. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, is even those times where it's like, okay, why is he not scoring? He still had... Like, he was always on the right side of the puck. Mm-hmm. Which is 
I think the most you can ask for a young guy. I think so. And, like, I think Nick Paul will be a very good, like, top, like, bottom six or top nine, we'll see. Yeah. If he has a scoring upside or if he's just a very efficient puck handler. I can see that. Yeah, so it's like, I think Nick Paul, it's a bit of a disappointment because Spezza still was a very productive player when we traded him back in 2015. Although, the transformation to uh, Jason Spezza, fourth-line center, is complete. He's still very smart on the puck. He is. Before we go on to talk about the next team, the New York Islanders. It's hard to believe that, you know, like their, their side of the trade tree ended after 11 seasons when they bought a lash. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine, right, in 1996 when they made that deal, if you were to tell them 11 years later that, hey, this Brian Burrard deal, you're going to end up with Alexa Yashin. Well, at the same time, you would have to tell them, but you'd miss out on Jason Spezza and Zidane Chara. Yeah, but they had Chara. The funny thing about Chara, a lot of people tend to forget now, is that he was very much a late bloomer Yeah. in the NHL. Because if you looked at his stats with the Islanders, it was like, Two goals, two goals, three goals, one goal. It was very small. Like he was, was he seen as a pylon back then or? Um, I think he was just seen as just a really, really big body, but super young uh, and okay. raw. And and the funny thing, and actually Berard talked about that on Spin Checklist too. He was mentioning about that Islanders teams he played on. Keep in mind, they had a very young Berard, yeah. a very young Chara, a very young Todd Bertuzzi, a very young Brian McCabe, a very young Roberto Luongo. So it's like, there was a lot of star power on that team. They, like, he talked about, he said they had six or seven defensemen who could have played forever. And Millbury started trading everybody. Crazy Mike. Yeah, crazy, yeah, mad Mike. And then, of course, you had guys like Kenny Johnson, who was a very solid defenseman for the Islanders. Zygmunt Palfi was up front. You had Robert Reichel. So you had some very young, and that's the key word we need to emphasize here is very young. These are not players in their prime. They're your young players who hadn't hit their stride yeah, yeah. yet. Well, it's it's funny because I I remember Travis Yost saying after uh, San Jose did two deals with Ottawa in 2018, where they ended up flipping Mike Hoffman for more and picking up Carlson, is if you want to be a good GM, find a bad GM and call him up whenever you can. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you'll pick uh why am I blanking on who the GM was at that point for Ottawa? It wasn't Shirley. Was it Shirley? No, it wasn't Shirley. What year was this? Uh, like, in the 2000s. Uh, Sorry, in the no. late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, Jesus, who the hell would have that been? I think in the mid-90s, uh, Randy Sexton would have been the yeah. GM in 95-96. And I want to say... Oh, so it's not even the same GM going back to the no, same well. No, it's two totally different... Uh... It'd be hilarious if it was the same GM just going back to the same well. Well, and that's funny because with the Islanders, it was the same GM. Yeah. Millbury was the GM for both of those trades. Yeah. But you got to realize, and I think those trades... I think the Berard one looks better... In retrospect. In, not in retrospect, in the moment. True, but... Because no one could have seen the eye injury. Well, here's the thing, and also... But even with the Yashin one, you can also make an argument for that, too, because, again, Chara was just a very young defenseman. Nobody knew how good he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Sure, you had the second overall pick that would have been Jason Spezza, but you got a guy in Alexi Yashin who, who was just coming off putting up 80 to 90 point yeah. seasons. So, like, okay, so we have a guy, they're looking to win now. Yeah, yeah. And the Islanders clearly were not ready for that. They were not ready to win now. 
they were still on the cusp of being a constant playoff team. Yeah. Because in all of the years that Yashin played for the Islanders, I think, with the exception of one, the Islanders made the playoffs every year. 02, they made the playoffs. 03, they made it. 04, and then 07. Yeah. And how did that happen? Well, let's see. Yashin carried. 02, they lost to the Leafs. Isn't that hilarious? That Yashin goes from the Sens to the Islanders to lose to the Leafs. 03, Yashin lose to the Sens. 04, the Islanders, I think they lost to Tampa. And then 07, I don't remember who they lost to in 07. Uh, it wasn't Pittsburgh. No, because Pittsburgh lost to Ottawa in 2007 in the first round. Yeah, and then the Rangers beat the... Thrashers. Thrashers. Oh, it must have been New Jersey then. I think it was Jersey, yeah. Yeah, because then Ottawa took out Jersey, and then they took out Buffalo. Unless the Islanders played the the Sabres. I think they might have. I can't remember off the top of my head. That was a good Sabres team that year, too. Yeah. What a weird sentence. I know. It's funny, though, because through the the 90s and the 2000s, the Sabres were good teams. They were, and they had a, and we talked about that when we did our redraft episode, yeah. right? Because they said you had a very solid team around them. You had the guys like Danny Breer, Chris Drury, Maxima Beneganoff, guys like that around mm. them. Or even like in the 90s, you had the French Connection. Oh, you mean the 70s? The sem- 70s or even like the late 80s. Well, too, the 70s, yeah. yeah, the 70s were the French Connection. The mid to late 90s were like the Hasek. Yeah. Hardest working team, sort of Sabre teams, which honestly, if they didn't have Hasek, <laughs> they would have just been an, an average team. Yeah. So I know everybody's listening to this episode thinking, but guys, how is this trade going to affect the Leafs? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so the two guys they got, Kirk Muller and Don Pobre. Let's talk a little bit about them. So Kirk Muller spent parts of two seasons with the Leafs, recording 29 goals, 33 assists for 62 points. Later was traded to the Florida Panthers at the trade deadline in 1997 for Jason Bottlin. He would play two and a half seasons with the Panthers, recording 13 goals, 35 assists for 48 points in 162 games. Signed as a free agent with the Dallas Stars in 1999. Played four seasons, recording 19 goals, 49 assists for 68 points in 235 games. Played in the 2000 Stanley Cup Finals with the Dallas Stars. Nice. So Don Popre is actually more... It's sad because Popre only played 11 games for the Leafs. He went 0-8-0. Hit eight losses. That's rough. He would finish the 96-97 season with the American Hockey League's St. John's Maple Leafs before retiring. So Pro Prey was just a goalie that never really made it. Yeah, Jason Boulderman really only played 14 games for the Toronto Maple Leafs, recording three assists. Later spent two full seasons in the American Hockey League, recording 129 points and 138 games for the St. John's Maple Leafs. Later, traded to the LA Kings. Nice. Did he get to actually play for the Kings? or? Uh, Top of my head, I think he did. Oh, okay, so he wasn't just, so he's kind of like a career tweener. Pretty much, yeah. Well, when you're putting up 100-point AHL seasons, but can't hack it in the AHL. Yeah, and that was over two seasons. That's actually kind of a, it's not a bad place to be, because at least you will still get your reps in the NHL. Very much so, and I think that's one thing is that, and we've seen it throughout over the years, is guys who have these really great careers in the American Hockey League, but can't translate to the pro game Mm -hmm. and i think it's a shame because like the ahl is still really good hockey it is but it's a much tougher game than the nhl is and i think guys like the brian mcgrath and these guys would talk about the american hockey league where he says yeah that's it's called the jungle is that they're looking for fights and that's where the toughest guys around play yeah play in that league because they're looking 
it's sad that it can't be a bit more of a skill league. Yeah. Because people need to, like, you need to be noticed to move up to the next level. Very much so. But the thing is, Sam, with the American Hockey League, is that because of the talent in that league, it's not like they're, it's not shown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they recognize the talents there. The only problem is, is that can that talent translate yeah, yeah. to the pros? Because it's one thing when you're going up against a career minor leaguer, then when you're going up against Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. Two totally different things. Oh, totally. And, like, the goaltending. The goaltending is miles different, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, that's really all of the Toronto Maple Leafs tree right there, Tim. It pretty yeah. much ended in 1998, to be honest with you, because, you know, like I said, Bottlem later left the Leafs, didn't really become anything. So, yeah, the one thing you will learn about this tree, guys, is that a lot of the stuff that we talk about is on the other side, because, and I was telling Tim before we hit record, I was showing him the tree, and it's really, it was almost like two paragraphs. That's all it is yeah. for, for both teams. And while the others like, <laughs> yep. I know. Although yeah. we kind of have dipped into the sender side because we, like, we did go back to the Spezza trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. We, we've talked about it here on the show in the past. So. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of the Sens, Tim, let's talk about the Sens side now. Because the Sens side actually was pretty fruitful for us. It started off with Wade Redden. So, Redden spent the entire 95-96 season with the Western Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings, spent 11 seasons with the Senators, recording 101 goals, 309 assists for 410 points in 838 games, signed as a free agent with the New York Rangers in 2008, recording 5 <laughs> goals, 35 assists for 40 points in 156 games, before being sent down and bought out by the New York Rangers. And caused a change in the CBA. Exactly. Signed with the St. Louis Blues, recording two goals, three assists for five points in 23 games before being traded to the Boston Bruins at the trade deadline for a conditional seventh in 2014, which I found absolutely no information on, too. They probably never met the conditions. Exactly. Recorded one goal, one assist for two points in six games for the Boston Bruins before retiring. There's something magical about how many Senders players are involved with massive changes to either the CBA or the draft. Yep. And I don't know how or why. I don't know. Because, like, Heatley holdouts are pretty much impossible under the CBA now. Yep. Uh, and, <laughs> and because of us, you know, tanking's no longer a thing. And then Buffalo made tanking harder. And then, because of us, well, because of Wade Redden, they changed the way that uh, buyout rule, sorry, uh, Set AHL salary counts against the cap. Yep. Yeah, because they did the same with uh, Gomez. Yeah, they tried to bury Gomez as well, but it was Gomez fucking Redden. Because <laughs> Redden fell off a cliff. Oh yeah, and you know, and we talked about that when we did our Ring of Honor episode. The Ring of Honor episode is that you know you could tell by the time that Redden left us, his he was done. He was like not completely nose diving, but you could see the descent. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the other piece in this, Damian Rhodes. So Damian Rhodes spent four seasons for the Ottawa Senators, recording a 65, 74, and 32 record with a .902 save percentage, claimed by the Atlanta Thrashers in the 1999 expansion draft, recording a 14, 48, and 1 record with an 889 save percentage before retiring. So there's actually a few things I actually want to talk about with Damian Rhodes here, because... One, he does hold the distinction of being the only goalie in Sense history to score a goal. 
Really? He does. And that's the funniest thing about this is that... Because I thought Laleem would have done it, because Laleem was a skater. <laughs> Laleem... Yeah, I, and I actually thought it was... There's Laleem, there's Emery, Anderson, maybe. You know, you guys Anderson, Emery and Anderson are post-lockout, though. And goalie goals become way harder post-lockout. True. Because of the trapezoid. Yeah, that is true. But the thing is, and I was thinking about because those guys played longer. Yeah. Well, you, Emery not so much, but Anderson for sure. And how he actually did this was that I believe it was in the 98-99 season is that the Devils, I think they were on a delayed penalty and they're behind the Ottawa net and Lyle Oldland, who was a defenseman for the Devils, he had it, he tried to make a pass to the point, went right through both defensemen, nobody was there to catch it, <laughs> and it went down the ice and hit the empty net dead center. <laughs> and because... Damien Rhodes was the last guy to touch the puck before it went in. <laughs> he got claimed the game. Well, that's one of the things I've always kind of wondered about uh, empty net goals on a delayed penalty. Can it count? Because you would have to then say that the Ottawa Senators touched the puck. That is true. I think... Like, I can see why you would have to count it, but it's just one of those things, like, can you actually count it and attribute it to a Senator? Yeah, <laughs> well, you can be. Like, it's logically a bit... Silly, what do you think about the rule of the delayed penalty? True, but I they think... They have a carbo, obviously. But. Yeah, and I think because there is an obvious rule for that. It's whoever is the last, last player to touch yeah, the puck, yeah. that's the person who's spent the goal. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing I want to talk about, Damian Rhodes was actually known for having a few corks during his career. And one of the things, and this is actually involved with this trade. So, when he was traded to the Sens in 96, he flat out refused to change his pads to one that represented the Sens colors. <laughs> so... I will actually, it's funny, and there's a photo I saw online of him with the Sens in New York Islanders pads. So we got this dude in a black a black jersey Yep. with orange and yellow pads. Sorry, orange and blue pads. It was uh, blue and orange, yeah. And it looks funky, man. Like, I think, I think his pads and his blocker, I believe. Did he ever change it, or did he just move on? Yeah, he, well, he eventually had to change it. But, yeah, it's just one of those crazy things that I'm just like, really, dude? Like, this is what we're doing today? Is that it? Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah, so check that out. He didn't play for the others. Those are leaf colors he's wearing. <laughs> what an asshole. How the hell? <sighs> what an asshole. <laughs> oh, my God, that's hilarious. The funny thing is, he still has the sense-covered blocker, but not his catcher. Why? I don't know. You made a bit of the change. Just go the whole way. Yeah. Now, another quirk he had is that when he played for the Sens, he opted to always stay in hotels in the Ottawa area on game days. And one thing he... I actually had no idea about this. So, in the 98 season, he actually bleached his hair. (laughs) Now, there's an actual reason behind this. Because at the time before he bleached it, he held a 13-17-5 record prior to this. He bleached his hair. He went 10-4-2. and It just stuck with it. And lowered his goals against average. <laughs> like, think about that for a sec, man. Like, like, obviously, bleaching your hair doesn't have anything to do with this, but, I mean, goalies will ride anything, right? Exactly, and goalies are always known to be quirky and all that kind of cool stuff, but... Well, I don't think any of them are Breeze Golf level. No, Briz was a totally different level. Well, he was Space Cadet, right? Yeah. Why do you have to do that? It's just 
Kike. I know, I love the one post game he did. He goes, listen, I've got some good news, and I've got even better news. <laughs> the good news is that I'm not playing tonight. The even better news is we actually might win tonight. <laughs> uh, Briz. Well, I'm glad that for a while after he retired, they let Breeze do random interviews. Oh, yeah, because he seems like kind of like a, he would be kind of perfect for that. I love that. It's like, Breeze, why do you have two microphones? Well, you'll see. Two microphones better than one microphone. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you my microphone too, Breeze. Breeze, how are you holding those microphones? Well, you see, I have hands. <laughs> uh, Briz. I'm see, sad we never got Briz. That's true, man. Briz would be perfect in the media, though. He would just be such a different kind of cat. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just, I think the players get tired of that stuff after a while. Yeah. It's like, just re- I'm sure I've referenced this many times on the show during uh, Phil- the Philadelphia road to the Winter Classic, where uh, everyone else is sitting and Bruce sits at a table and then they move. It's just like, oh, okay. Bruce, or just like, my dog, if she was here, she'd be like, hot girl. Bruce, did you just compare your dog to a woman? <laughs> that's awesome so before we head into the close Tim let's quickly go over who acquired who yeah. so, the, so the Islanders basically acquired Brian Burrard that later became Alexi Yashin the Leafs got nobody as they deserve and the Senans went from having a first overall pick in Brian Burrard to becoming two wins away from the Stanley Cup yeah yeah in getting Wade Redden and Jason Spezza. Well, think of the whole trade. Yeah. Think about Chara, it. Yeah. We got Redden, Chara, Jason Spezza. Like, that's three big pieces right there. Yeah. It's insane how much freaking value the Senators got off the Islanders. I know. What? And I guess that's why Mike Milbury is still on NBC. Yeah, apparently he was doing the Flyers game last night and not very good. Real like they they let him do color or play by play or yeah I'm not sure how they work because I didn't see the game but uh, Dan from from the network was yeah. talking about that on his Twitter feed oh but uh, I know but it's it's got to be rough for like NBC TSN if they in sports man if they want to cover all of the games they have they have to send different crews to each game well like, well no they don't they have two crews there's two cities yeah I'm being stupid. But, uh, no, but it's, that's actually kind of tricky. Yeah. Because you've got six games in a day. That is true. And actually, I didn't know how they were going to do that in the two cities, but I, but I realized there's two separate things for locker rooms. Yeah, yeah. Especially in Toronto, where you have, you have the Leafs and you have the Raptors. Yeah. So one game can have one, the other can have the other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, because the Raptors have, like, the Leafs and Raptors both have really cool dressing rooms. Yeah, but they also play in the same arena, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's solid. Yeah, so it's like, honestly, the Air Canada sent... Well, any of the arenas that have both an NBA team and a basketball team would be perfect for this sort of thing. Yeah, which I'm actually amazed in that regard that Edmonton got, because Edmonton doesn't have any NBA franchise. However, I understand that Dr. Bonnie said you can't have Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that the West Coast cities that have both... Like, California, they had, like, they're hitting their second wave. Uh, The Texas teams, they are hitting their second wave. Hard. Hard. 
Well, both well, both California and Texas had to re-rock it. So Florida, Florida. Well, Florida's east. Yeah, I know, but Florida is still getting hit with that though. Not Florida. At least, like, Florida's line is kind of flatlined for a bit for new cases, so we'll see how that goes. But at the same time, uh, whatever, I don't know how this happened, but Florida, like, apparently there was some manufacturing fault in the test they got, which, so it has a higher false positive test than they would expect. Jesus. But that's just the thing, is the data for COVID is, like, the research done on, like, the actual virus itself is going to be stellar. Yeah. Any epidemiological or uh, that sort of research that requires a time series of who has the case, who has it, and who doesn't is going to be crap. Like the tests have been administered in a poor way, and there's no way we could have done it well. So it's just we're never we're not going to learn much about this virus on an epidemiological level. But we'll learn a lot about it on a virological level. Is kind of what I've been getting from my friends in those sorts of fields. But yeah, no. So I think Edmonton was probably the best location you were going to get. Although, I guess, and here's the thing, uh, the ice district is far enough, it's not right downtown, it's kind of a bit off from mm -hmm. downtown, so it, it is easier to bubble out there. I'm actually amazed they can bubble out the Air Canada Centre. Because that fucker is literally connected to Union Station. Yep. One of the biggest train stations in North America. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm amazed they did it. Yep. And congrats to the Maple Leafs organization and the NHL. Yeah, good for them, man. Like, what they have done is nothing short of amazing. So, Tim, do you have anything you want to comment on before we head off into the close for another episode? Uh, not really. Other than, I love that this NHL trade tree is still going. I know, it's still good. I mean, it's still barely going, but well, it's still we going. We got Nick Paul. Whatever happened to Alex Gutfeld? Did he just never make it, or...? Yeah, I just never made it. That's mm. all. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our page to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at Badger. I'm at GreatWayGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E-Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to give your thoughts on today's Ottawa Senators trade tree, shoot us an email thirdlinkplugsenscast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jancy. Go Sens, guys. Woo!